Luke 9, 10 through 17. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about five thousand men, and he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so, and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. So, uh, we're in... Luke uh, chapter 9, and, and, and two weeks ago, uh, we started really by mentioning the end of the chapter, uh, and then we, we kind of will say, okay, let's, let's build out from there, but what happens at the end of this chapter is a person will look at Jesus, uh, and they will say, I will follow you wherever you go, uh, which coincidentally is the title of the series, right? It's amazing how that kind of stuff works out around here. Uh, and so, so he's, they, he, the guy says, hey, I will follow you wherever you go. And, and now if, if you need, if Jesus was running for prom king or, or like mayor of a town, he desperately needs somebody to come in uh, in regards to PR and say, hey, man, this is how you make friends and influence people. Uh, because, because what Jesus says is like, hey, man, uh, you don't know what you're talking about because uh, we're, we're not staying at the Ritz. We're not staying at the W. Um, the, I don't even have a place to lay my head. Uh, and then, then what follows is some other people um, will be invited by Jesus to uh, follow him. And they'll say, I'm on board, but first let me. Uh, and then Jesus will, will say some pretty interesting things. To them, and we'll we'll eventually get there. But 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 the the pressing of this whole chapter is is what does it look like to follow Jesus? Because because the chapter nine here is is really helpful because it kind of tells this this beautifully complete story about what it looks like to follow Jesus. In fact, uh, we we will see throughout it these episodes of, of things that are going on away from Jesus, but, but then more importantly, uh, we will see Jesus speak about life that, that follows him, but then also by performing these miracles, we get a good picture of, of who he is. And, and so, so what we've been trying to do here is, is we want to ask three questions as we've kind of as we make our way through, right? Remember, the first question that we asked two weeks ago was, was who is Jesus, right? If we are going to follow Jesus, then it's probably a pretty good idea to have a sense of who he is uh, as, as a person, but also as Lord and Savior. And, and the way we kind of approached that was kind of breaking our own rules uh, is, is we, we took 
three different scenes from that Luke 9 offers us, and we saw the reaction of, of really three different groups of people. We saw Herod, uh, who was perplexed by Jesus. He hears about what Jesus is doing, and he says, who is this guy? And remember, uh, in, in two of the three scenes, we get the same thing. He's either, he's either uh, Elijah, he's John the Baptist, or he's a prophet of old. And, and, and that's a problem for Herod because he says, we cut that guy's head off. Uh, and so, so we saw Peter, uh, we saw Herod who was perplexed and, and we kind of left him on the table saying, you know, it, it's one thing to have a question about Jesus and it's another thing to seek an answer to that question. And Herod seems to be pretty fine with just letting it kind of play itself out. Uh, he he kind of wants to know about Jesus, but not enough to do anything about it. Then we see, we see through Peter uh, this revelation that comes on the hills of where we're at today, uh, where, uh, where Jesus will say, who do uh, the people say that I am? And they'll say, hey, he's either, you're either Elijah, you're either John the Baptist or a prophet of old. Uh, and, uh, and Jesus will look to them and say, who do you say I am, right? And that's when Peter will say, you are the Christ. You are the Son of God. Now, now the issue for Peter at the time is it's only a, it's an incomplete gospel because Jesus has not done what he has been set out to do. And then we talk, talked about the transfiguration where, uh, where uh, the father comes in and he tells people, hey, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him, right? So, so what we, what we kind of took away from that two weeks ago was, was this, uh, the importance of understanding who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the one to listen to. And then if you remember, we, we drew back and we said, well, what does he say? And, and then we unfairly picked one verse and said, this is the big thing that he says, that no one comes to the Father except through me, because I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Right? We just, we just sang that. So hopefully it's true, right? So, so I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, so that leads us to our second question which we're unpacking right now that that if we are going to follow jesus what can we expect when we follow him and last week i thought mark did uh an incredible job and i'll just tell you uh it's it's a difficult task to do what he did last week uh because he has to look at some of your faces uh and some of you are like oh and some of you are napping some of you are doing your grocery list i know i see right here she's doing it i know she's like walmart pick up got to order it um but, but I thought he did an incredible job walking us through the first six verses of, of this uh, chapter by, by talking about how Jesus sends his apostles and he tells them basically do two things. Heal people and then uh, proclaim the kingdom of God. And he says that, that when we follow Jesus, he gives us purpose and he gives us power. Right? So he gives us a purpose to live for the glory of his name, but then he gives us the power to put the glory of God on display. And, and then what we're doing is we'll be building that out even through today, although this kind of took on a form that was unexpected to me. Um, and then toward the end of the, uh, the chapter, we'll, we'll ask this question that, that, okay, since I am following Jesus, how does following Jesus change my attitudes? Uh, both my attitude uh, for God, my attitude for myself, and then my attitude for other people. And now, now we'll get to that. Uh, but, but last week we talked about when we follow Jesus, he gives us power and purpose. And today, as Heather read, uh, he walks us into a scene 
uh, where Jesus feeds 5,000 people. And now, for me, if, if the book of Hebrews uh, chapter 4, verse 12 uh, is true, which I believe that it is, this has been one of those passages this week for me. Because Hebrews 4, 12 will tell us that the Word of God is living and it's active. And it's able to penetrate the soul. It divides the marrow. That it gives us discernment on where we're at. And so, so where we are going today, admittedly, is diff- different than where we typically would go. All right, And I don't mean to build it up. I'm just trying to, to build in a little bit of grace here if this isn't as put together as you know, you've been grown to, to learn from here. Uh, and so with, if that sentence even made sense. So, so typically, when we get to this passage, uh, it has a little bit of Jesus in it and it has a little bit of us in it. Uh, and, and we can build a sermon out that, that will say, you know, if, if you just have a little bit, it's amazing... Uh, the amount that God can do with a little bit of your time, a little bit of your talent, a little bit of your treasures. And, and we can talk about how he, he multiplies influence, right? Uh, we, can, we can talk about how uh, he is, and we will address this, uh, but that how he, uh, God, provides for us to where we are full uh, and we are with lacking of hunger and thirst, that he satisfies those things. And, and all of those things are true. Um, they're, they're just not necessarily where we're going to go uh, toward the end of our time today. Now, where we, where we go, if, you're, if you want to take the wonder out of Luke chapter 9, verses 10 through 17, pretty much it just reads, Jesus feeds some people, right? Because uh, that's, that's basically what happens there. But, but now, doing that removes a lot of the beauty. Now, now, you should note this if you're looking for some Bible dork stuff. Uh, this miracle is the only miracle that's written in all four Gospels. Uh, it's the only one. In fact, you can go uh, Matthew 14, you can go Mark 6, you can go John 6. Now, now, if you put them all together, you get this really interesting and beautiful picture of, of, of all the things that are unfolding. Now, and we'll get to some of those pieces here. Uh, but, but basically, the, the setup is this, that, that the disciples, they go... Uh, and, and they're coming back from being sent, right? Uh, that's where Mark talked about last week. Jesus sends them out. They're healing. They're proclaiming the kingdom. And they come back home, and basically it's like a work retreat, right? Uh, where I'm sure there's going to be a hot dog eating contest. There's going to be inflatable sumo wrestlers. And there's going to be a fire walk uh, at the end of the day. Now, now, the problem with that is none of y'all got the reference to the office there. Uh, thank you. Um, but but the, the issue on the table is that as Jesus is withdrawing his disciples uh, to go spend time with them, the crowd begins to follow them. Uh, and and so, so we get this beautiful scene out of it uh, from Mark, where, where when Jesus sees the crowd, he says this. He says that, that Jesus had compassion on them. And understand this, compassion always leads to action, uh, or else it's just, it's, just ap- it's just sympathy, right? So Jesus had compassion on them because they were sheep, without a shepherd, okay? And so, so what he begins to do is heal uh, these people. And now we're going we're to kind of drive past uh, verses 12 and 13 because we're going to come back because that's, that's a big player today. Um, but, but the day's wearing on, right? Uh, and the disciples say, hey, we need to send these people away because uh, we need to eat, they need to eat. Uh, and Jesus looks at them and he says, you give them something to eat. And then they say, that's impossible. There's too many 
people, and we find out in, in verse 14 why, uh, because this is just a humble crowd that's assembled by Jesus of a little over 5,000 people. All right? So, so that's a significant player in this story, because this isn't like you guys just showed up, uh, and we were like, ah, we need to eat. Like, there, there are 5,000 uh, plus people, and, but Jesus says, hey, let's uh, bring me what you got, and we, we, we learn there's just some fish and, and some, some loaves of bread, and says, you know, break them into groups, and they, he prays over it, he blesses it, and then, now, I don't, I don't know how this plays out, and to be honest with you, I don't really care. Uh, I, don't, I don't know uh, how the miracle took place. What I do know is that there was enough food for everybody to eat their fill, uh, and then there was leftovers, uh, where it says in, in each of the Gospels that they gathered up 12 baskets full um, of, of leftover bread and, and fish. And so, so that's, if we take the wonder out of it, Jesus just feeds people. But, if we put the wonder of it into the story, Jesus is doing two incredible things. Okay? That's the first thing that Jesus does is, is he reveals insight of who he is. Okay? And then the second thing, and we're going to spend uh, a good amount of time on this one, is he reveals uh, expectation for the work of the church. That's what it is. So, so Jesus, Jesus reveals insight for who he is, and then he, then he reveals expectation for the work of the church. And so, so let's, let's hit the first one um, first, because it's most important. Okay? So, so Jesus is revealing something to us about who he is. Now, we don't really see much of that in the Gospel of Luke, but it's painted out very clearly in the Gospel of John. So, so Luke, what follows this is, uh, again, uh, Peter's confession that he is the Christ, and then Jesus foretelling that, that the Messiah is going to have to die, and, and then we'll, I think we're going to be here next week, uh, where Jesus gives this instruction on taking up your cross and following him. Uh, now, what John does in John 6 is, is he takes us to the next day, right? In between, what happens is there's this moment of feeding, then everybody's full, everybody's happy, everybody goes back to their home, and Jesus sends his disciples to the other side of the sea in a boat, and, and, and then there's this other miraculous thing that happens where Jesus walks on water, right? And so, so John 6, I think it's 22, kind of picks us up on the next day. And it says that the people didn't see Jesus, and so they realize he goes to the other side, and they follow him uh, to the other side, and, and Jesus sees them, and then they start to kind of butter them up, and Jesus cuts to the, to the chase, and he says, let's be honest, you're, you're not here because of the sign, but you're here because you can eat, right? Uh, you, just, you just want more food. And they say, well, I mean, um, our fathers were fed by Moses. Uh, and Jesus corrects that, and he's like, no, Mo didn't feed you. My father, who is in heaven, fed you. Uh, he gave you living bread, and, and then he transitions to the bread that I give uh, will, will satisfy your hunger. And they say, give us this bread. And then Jesus looks at him, and in one of his I am statements, he says, I am the bread of life. He says, whoever comes to me um, will, will, will never hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And so, so here's the thing. If we walk away from this scene this morning from Jesus feeding 5,000 people and we say, cool party trick, wish I knew how to do that, then we've missed the point. 
Because the whole purpose of what we read here, the, the main purpose of what we read here, is Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. That I sustain you, I satisfy you, I quench hunger, I quench thirst. And the more we see him and the more we walk with him, I believe the more we get to celebrate that. And so he's talking to a people who are like, hey, I'm really just here for some bread and some fish. And he says, I am bringing you this. I'm bringing you something more. Again, this is the model of the Gospel of John when you look at it. Every time Jesus performs a miracle, there's this conversation that takes place next, and and it's an explanation for why he's doing it because Jesus doesn't just come in to do cool tricks and then walks out. He comes in, he does these as credentials for who he is so that when we put our faith in him, we have someone to rest secured in. So so, so that's, that's the first part. And I think it's beautiful, and, and I, don't wanna, I don't want you to mistake where we go next for um, the focus, because that's, that's the focus. Every page of the Bible tells us about Jesus. And so we have to, we have to rest in that. The beauty of feeding the 5,000 is because Jesus is the bread of life. So, so what, what he does here is he gives us insight into who he is. But then right underneath that, secondary, we, we find in this scene... Him giving an expectation for the work of the church, right? And, and we find this in, in verses 12 and, and 13. I think I might have this for the screen if, if you don't have it, but, but it kind of starts like this. It says, now the day began to wear away, and, and now just Bible dork stuff. Uh, it's also believed that, that any, once they hit about noon in the Jewish culture, they thought the day was coming to an end. Uh, and so, like, how nice would that be? Like, you're like 12 o'clock, you're like, well... Time to wrap it up. Let's go. Right? And so, so the day begins to wear away. Uh, and, and the disciples, all 12 of them, came to him and said, Hey, let's, let's send the crowd away and let's go into the surrounding villages and, and countryside to find lodgings, get provisions. And then they're going to say something I'd like you to, to pay some attention to. Because I think it will become relevant here in just a moment. For we are here in a desolate place. We are here in a desolate place. And now look what Jesus says. And Jesus said to the disciples, you, okay? Now, if you're brave, okay, circle that in your Bible, okay, to draw attention to that. You give them something to eat, right? So, so I've, been, I've been stuck this week, and I didn't know why, but, but until the, till the end of the week. Um, because that, that phrase, we are in a desolate place. Desolate place. And, I, and I've been trying to explore that. And then I noticed that, that in Matthew and Mark and Luke, they all make reference to this desolate place. And then, and then on the heels of that, you see Jesus not, not saying, no, it's not as bad as you think it is. He just says, in this place, you give them something to eat. You give them something. Now, what we find, I think it's in Mark, where Jesus, or maybe it was John, uh, one of them, doesn't, you'll, you'll find it, I promise you. Uh, Jesus looks at Philip, and, and he says, you should give him something to eat. And, and then there's this mention that Jesus knew what he was going to do, right? But to test them, he says, you guys give them 
something to eat. And, and what I love about that is Jesus in this moment knows exactly what he's going to do. And yet he still gives an expectation to the disciples about the work of the ministry because this is more than just about feeding some people. He says, you are in this desolate place. You give them something to eat. And so here's my connection, that the work of the church is to meet the needs in desolate places. Okay? Now, one of you was like, yes, I'm on board. And a lot of you are like, I don't know about this. Where's he going? We'll hear him out because it'd be rude to leave right now. So the work of the church is to meet needs in desolate places. Now, now here's what we know about desolate places. Sometimes it's really easy to identify them, right? Like you can go into a homeless community and say this is a desolate place. Where they're at is basically withdrawn from, from the, the comforts of society, right? They're out in the outskirts. They're in the wilderness. And, and it's easy to see that there's no life there's nothing going on out here. We don't have a Chick-fil-A anywhere, right? We can't get DoorDash to our door. Uh, and so, so it's easy it, sometimes to see what's a desolate place, but it's also easy to know that desolation can be a state of our hearts. Right? Now, nah, a couple of you perked up like, yeah, I've been there. And God's met me there. So, so we can be in, in painful circumstances and believe that we are in desolation. We can, we can be in a trying time. We can be in a, in a confusing time. We can feel out of control. And we can be in what we call a desolate place in our mind and our heart and our emotions. And Jesus will look to the church and say, meet people there and feed them. Because the work of the ministry is to meet, to go to desolate places and meet needs so here's here's where this is kind of become a major player this week in fact it was it was thursday uh that that i saw this uh i was introduced to um an article that was written on the gospel coalition uh by a pastor and i'm going to apologize that if i don't have this name correctly none of you know him so don't tell him right um vasil astriri and he's he's the pastor at Irpine Bible Church in Kiev, okay? Uh, and, and as you know, uh, there are extremely difficult things going on in the Ukraine right now. Uh, and in, and I'm, not, I'm not here to debate uh, which news site is telling you the proper thing or not. What we know is that there are people who are in the Ukraine right now who are in a desolate place. And uh, Vasil wrote, wrote this article, and he was, trying, he was kind of giving people an explanation for why they've decided to stay uh, in Kiev rather than, than flee. And, and as I read it, I was like, okay, here, here we go. All right, so I'm just going to read it to you. All right, it, it won't take very long. He says this, in, in recent days, the events from the book of Esther have become real to us in Ukraine. It says, if the decree is signed and Haman has the license to destroy an entire nation, the, the gallows are ready, Ukraine is simply waiting. This was written a couple, right, right before the, um, the invasion. 
says, can you imagine the mood in a society when gradually, day after day, for months, the world's media has been saying that war is inevitable, that much blood will be shed. He says, in recent weeks, nearly all the missionaries have been told to leave Ukraine. Western nations evacuated their embassies and, and citizens. Traffic in the capital of Kiev uh, is disappearing. And, and where did the people go? Oligarchs, businessmen, uh, and those who can afford it are, are leaving saving their families from potential war, should we do the same? My wife and I decided to remain in our city near Kiev, and, uh, where, and we want to serve the people here along with uh, Irvine Bible Church, where, where I joined the pastoral team in 2016 in anticipation of coming disaster. Okay? I want you to hear this, okay? because this is a desolate place, and Jesus tells the disciples, you feed them. Okay, In this place, in anticipation of coming disaster, we have we've bought a supply of food, medicine, fuel that, if necessary, we'll be able to help those in need rather than burden them. Our, ours is a family of six. We're raising four daughters. And what I worry about the most is my 16-year-old who travels to college every day for an hour and a half one way by public transportation. And, and the media warns that if Russia invades mobile communication will be lost, and public transit will likely collapse. Thankfully, her classes have now gone online. Since the border with uh, Belarus is, is only 150 kilometers, that's, that's 92 miles, uh, from Kiev, one of the possible options for an enemy attack is from Belarus. And, and so the local media is recommending that we pack an emergency suitcase. And I told my children to pack your backpacks, pack enough things for three days. Since in the past, such packing meant we were going on vacation or fun trips. So, so our younger children, six and eight, uh, have been asking, where are we going? It says, at first, I didn't, I didn't know how to answer, and I just told them, we're not going anywhere. And so how should the church respond when there's a growing threat of war? When there's a constant fear in society? I'm convinced, and this this line just pinned me. I'm convinced that if the church is not relevant at a time of crisis, it cannot be relevant in a time of peace. While the church may not fight like the nation, we still believe we have a role to play in this struggle. As a country... We went through this already in 2014. In those days, many churches actively supported those who rebelled against the, the corrupt authorita uh, authoritarian regime of, of Victor, and I, I can't pronounce the last name. There was, a, there was a prayer tent inside Independence Square. Christians distributed warm meals and hot tea. Churches opened their doors as a shelter for protesters persecuted by, by security forces. Meanwhile, there were churches that openly supported the dictator's regime and, and criticized the protesters. And, and other churches just tried to ignore the elephant in the room and, and they kept silent about the problem and, and lived as if there was nothing happening. And, and in the end, churches that distracted themselves from social issues and those that supported the corrupt rulers have suffered reputational losses among the population of Ukraine. Conversely, churches that have uh, been with people during testing times have received the highest trust 
from society. That's their reputation. And, and we believe the church is a place of spiritual struggle. As transitions have risen, our church has announced a week of fasting and, and prayer, gathering every night to bring only to bring our request to God. For three days in a row, the lights were turned off in the city, and we were forced to meet in the dark, adding a solemn atmosphere to our prayers for peace. If the church is not relevant at a time of crisis, then it is not relevant in a time of peace. At the end of the week, those moments produced in us an inner strength to, to persevere. Through communal prayers, we've gained confidence and peace. And, and we believe God is with us. And that's the most important thing. God is with us. That's the most important thing. During the critical moment, during this critical moment, our church, which has about a thousand people attending on a normal Sunday, is, is also a place of service. We've recently conducted several trainings on performing first aid. People are learning uh, how to apply a tourniquet and stop bleeding, apply bandages, manage airways. And these people aren't going to become uh, doctors, but this gives them confidence to care for the neighbors if necessary. In fact, when, when I first announced the first, first aid training, one brother told me, now I know why I need to stay in the Ukraine. He said, he said he had planned to leave, but, but he, because he wasn't a soldier, uh, he wasn't able to, to take up arms and fight, but, but now he wants to stay to help the wounded and to save the lives. And, and so, so we decided uh, to stay both as a family and as a church. And when this is over, the citizens of Kiev will remember how Christians have responded in this time of need. It says, if necessary, the church premises can be turned into a shelter. Uh, we have a good basement. Uh, we're ready to deploy a, healing sta uh, a heating station as well as provide a place for a military hospital. To make this a reality, we're creating response teams. And, and if martial law is declared, they, they're ready to, with a strategic supply of fuel, food, and material for dressing wounds. We, we've gathered information on, on who in the church are doctors, mechanics, plumbers, even, in, even who has wells in case of a water shortage. We've decided to stay both as a family and as a church. When this is over, the citizens of Kiev will remember how Christians have responded in time of need. Then he completes it. He says, And while the church may not fight like the nation, we, we still believe we have a role to play in this struggle. Listen to this. We will shelter the weak, serve the suffering, mend the broken. And as we do, we offer the unshakable hope of Christ and His gospel. While we may feel helpless in the face of such a crisis, we can pray like Esther. Ukraine is not God's covenant people, but like Israel, our hope is that the Lord will remove the danger as he did for his ancient people. And as we stay, we pray the church of Ukraine will faithfully trust the Lord and serve our neighbors. Amen. So here, here's where I was at the end of reading that. That we are a people who are too soft. Like, like here we find our brothers and sisters in Christ. And they are in a desolate place. 
They are praying for the Lord to provide and to protect. But they're also listening to the voice of Jesus when he says, you feed them. And with that in mind, this scene of feeding 5,000 takes on a completely different animal, right? It becomes something much more important than, hey, we need to feed these people. We need, we need to seek out desolate places. Because what do the disciples want to do? Hey, we're in a desolate place. These people are in a desolate place. Let's send them away. And Jesus looks at them and says, it's your job. It's you. You give them something to eat. And that was the invitation. That was the expectation. And I look at my brother in Kiev and his willingness to say the boldness of Christ belongs here. The courage of Christ belongs here. I am called to give them something to eat so I stay at the risk at any moment of my life. One of my favorite lines in life that is just really kind of geared my direction comes from Count Zindendorf and he says he says preach the gospel die be forgotten preach the gospel die be forgotten and these guys are doing that Irpine Bible Church they're stepping up in times of crisis they are making the love of Jesus relevant to people We are too soft. Too many of us are inconvenienced by the idea of a 10.30 start time on a Sunday morning. Too many of us are inconvenienced at the, cons- at the prospect of spending 30 minutes a day in my Bible. Too many of us look at Jesus and say, my friend here is in a desolate place Well, you feed them. And when Jesus says, you feed them, you give them something to eat, we say, ah, job for the professionals. I think too many of us aren't willing to go to a desolate place for anybody. But yet, when we find ourselves there, God's really let us down. So I wish this was more fun. But it's not. Like we are too soft of a people. And I pray that we, as we grow up, that we would join the prayers of, of not just Irpine Bible Church, but, but also the, the prayers of those who have gone before us. There's this, there's this beautiful scene in the book of Acts, I think it's like chapter 4, where, where Peter and John uh, are proclaiming the gospel and, and, and the temple, the church leaders say, hey, you need to stop talking about Jesus. And they say, we can't but speak about Jesus. And so, so they throw him in prison and, and there's this scene where, where the church gathers and they're praying and, and, and what they're praying is so different than typically our, our, our 
comfortable prayer circles in, in suburban America. Because typically what we would pray in those moments is that, that God would release them, which is, I'm not saying that's a bad prayer, but what they pray is a grown-up prayer. What they pray is that God would give them the boldness to continue to proclaim the gospel. That's what they were praying for. And you want to know what happens? God gives them the boldness to proclaim the gospel. They spend the night in prison, right? Which isn't, you know, uh, in the lap of luxury. And they come out and again, they say, hey, just stop talking about Jesus. And they're like, we can't but speak about the goodness of God and what he's done for us in Jesus. Like we have to obey one person, either God or you, and we ain't going to obey you. We are a people who are too soft. Some of us have forgotten that in the Ukraine right now, there are brothers and sisters in Christ who need our prayers. And yet we want to debate too much on what's the reason, what's going on, why is it happening. So we're, we're going to end today, and again, I told you, I wish, maybe, there's no way to make this more fun. Okay? But we're going we're to lift up as a body of believers, our prayers for the people in the Ukraine. Like we are in an incredibly interesting time. But then again, I think everybody has always lived in an incredibly interesting time. But we're going to lift those churches up. And we're going to pray for their protection, but we're also going to pray for their boldness. Is that, is that fair? Okay. As I pray, I'm going to dismiss us out. Uh, if you need prayer this morning, we want to pray with you. We'll have some people over here. Um, if, if you've never asked Jesus into your heart, He is. Don't don't mistake this. I know we spent we haven't balanced our time properly, uh, but but He is the bread of life. Okay, so so all of our prayers that matter go directly through Him. So as we pray, we are praying as our as we speak to God through Jesus, our great mediator our great prophet, our great priest, our great king. So, so if you've never asked him into your heart, I plead with you, make today that day. I'd love to tell you my story. Okay? And if you want to remember the price Jesus paid, we have some communion elements available. So, so let, it, let us pray. I love you guys. I love you guys. Let's do hard stuff. I'm sorry, I, I lied. I almost said this. Let us pray. Let's do hard stuff. Let's be a people willing to go to desolate places. Right? A church is just a, a collection of people who believe in Jesus. So you are your own little church. And then we gather together as a community because together we do exponentially. We make an exponential influence in our, in our community. So, so you, you be brave enough to go into a desolate place and feed people. And then when that's too much, you call us and we come beside you. Okay? Let us, as a people, be brave enough to go into those spots. Okay? Now, now let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you, you care about us. We thank you that you provide for us. And Father, we thank you that you give us the... the just the insight and the expectation... To not sit on the sidelines. Father, we lift up our churches in the Ukraine. 
that you would embolden them. That as you protect and provide, you would ignite their hearts. You you would inflame their, their minds to know what to do and what to say. We pray for those who are lost in the Ukraine right now that that through this incredibly difficult and what seems to be an uncertain time for them that they would be they would be able to know you and they would know that there is there is not a moment that is that is uncertain to you So for the church across the world and the church in this, these churches in these nations, the church in this state, the churches in this city, and right here in this space, Father, we pray for the courage and the boldness to enter into desolate places and to give people things to eat. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. God bless. You're dismissed.